Hey, hey, everybody, welcome to the Compass Church Podcast. My name's Jake, I'm our Three Rivers Campus Pastor, and I love that you are joining us today because I wanna start by just asking you a simple question. Where did you meet your best friend? For me, that's my wife, and I met her the second day of freshman orientation in college, and things have never been the same. It's an easy thing for me to remember, but I also wanna ask the question, where did you first meet God? Or maybe a different way of putting it is, where did God meet you? We're gonna be hearing more about the story of when God met a group of people, the Israelites, through the tabernacle. So let's join in with our senior pastor, Jeff Griffin, to hear more. Hey, Compass Church friends, welcome back to week four of our series called Where We Met, the study of the tabernacle and how to build relationship with God. Well, I want to greet everybody. Well, first, I want to say hi to everybody at the Three Rivers Campus and our Bolingbrook friends, South Naperville people, Naperville, Wheaton, Hinsdale, and the Sheridan Prison friends there. Good to be with you. And everybody online, welcome. Remember last week, I did my intro in downtown Naperville, which, by the way, I'm here again. And we were taking a look at how over a hundred retail shops are thriving, largely due to that linear park called the Riverwalk. Well, it was one of those thriving shops that intrigues me. It's, It's just different from all the rest. In fact, I'm here right now. It's called Purple Dog Records. This is it right here. One of the things that fascinates me about this shop is what it sells. Yes, it sells vinyl records and cassette tapes of music, eight track tapes, no kidding. Now, far be it from me to criticize old technology. This is my boombox that I have in my office. My kids mock me for listening to my CDs all the time. Pop them in, slam it, crank the volume, rock and roll, baby. So yes, I still I don't understand Apple Music or how to get to it. I'm old fashioned, but I've given up on vinyl records and cassettes and eight tracks. Compared to them, I'm high tech. So it's a bit puzzling that they sell what they sell. But what really fascinates me about Purple Dog Record is where they're located. Can you tell? We're in this alley with zero street access. It's buried back here. In fact, I got to tell you how I discovered it. So it happened like this. I'm, I'm walking down Main Street, Naperville, downtown. And then I noticed this alley. You're not supposed to go down alleys, but they draw me. I just had to explore it. So I'm walking down this alley, a little more sketchy than what I'd expect in Naperville. But down towards the end, I notice a turn where another alley goes off to the right. And so I go down there and sure enough, come to this little area where I see this narrow alley between the buildings. And right around that corner is where Purple Dog Records is. I'm like, no way, this baby is buried in like this labyrinth of alleys. No street access at all, friends, that should not be. Remember one of the principles of retail success 
Actually, the three main points, they say, is location, location, location. You're supposed to find a prominent corner where everybody knows that you're there, where it's obvious, just in-your-face kind of location. Well, they're not that way. They're hidden. You know, I got thinking about it. The Lord is like Purple Dog Records. No kidding, God hides. Did you ever notice that? Drives me crazy. Sometimes I want to say, God, be more obvious. Appear visibly for people. Shout with an uh, audible voice so they all know you're real. You know, we're, we're fighting to have more customers, Lord. Christians, kind of like Purple Dog Records wants more customers. I say, Lord, here, God, do more miracles. Answer more prayers. Be more obvious. But God doesn't. Theologians call this the hiddenness of God. And that's a topic we're going to be exploring today. There is good reason why God does what he does. You know, I got thinking of the record store and it dawned on me that they have a unique approach. You know, they're, they're not counting on in-your-face, obvious location. They're counting on passionate music lovers People who are so passionate that they'll get online and search for the few stores that sell the old records. And then they're willing to search alleyways if necessary until they find. It's a community of people who want it so bad that they'll seek until they find. Got thinking, maybe God's that way. Maybe the Lord's not interested in drawing a community of people that have gathered because he's so in their face, obviously real, but rather... God wants a community that is united in their passionate love for him, a desire for him that is so strong that it compels them to do what's ever necessary, to seek until they find. (laughs) Maybe this sermon could be called What Purple Dog Records Taught Me About God. just weeks away at this point from kicking off our brand new sermon series called He Gets Us. Realizing that Jesus understood a lot of things about you and I because he was human just like we are. And you want to know something important? Jesus knew that life was better with friends. He surrounded himself with his friends, the 12 disciples, the people that were closest to Jesus, who he would later charge to go change the world. Now, we might not think that we have the ability to change the world, but we should realize that what Jesus modeled for us is incredibly important. When it comes to talking about our faith, it's so much better to do it with friends. So I want to encourage you, as we are getting ready for this sermon series, jump into a small group. Go to thecompass.net slash he gets us. While you're there, you'll find all sorts of groups at your favorite campus that are meeting to talk specifically about Jesus and how he understands and relates to every single one of us. Now, with that being said, let's jump back into the message together. 
Friends, the last few weeks, we've been looking at the furniture in the tabernacle. Remember, we started out in the courtyard and we looked at that altar for burnt sacrifices as well as the wash basin. Last week, we were in the front room called the holy place. And there we saw three pieces of furniture. We saw the bread table and the lampstand and the altar for incense. Well, finally, this week, we're pressing into the most inner room called the most holy place. And in that room, there's one famous piece of furniture, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, this replica, life-size replica of the Ark of the Covenant is uh, from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that great movie. And the artist behind that prop really did a great job of studying the biblical description and making it exactly like the Word of God said. In fact, let me show you where that description is. In Exodus 25, it starts in verse 10. God said, make an ark of acacia wood, A sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high, and overlay it inside and outside with pure gold. Cast four gold rings and attach them on each side. Insert poles into the rings to carry the ark. And then this top, which is also called the mercy seat, this lid, if you will, is also described in verse 17. Make the ark's cover from pure gold. Mold cherubim. That's these angels on top. Mold cherubim on each end of the cover, making it all from one piece of gold. And the cherubim will face each other and look down on the cover. And with their wings spread above it, they will protect it. So those wings spread over the ark. It's the angelic protection uh, that God intended. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, maybe this stuff like an Ark of the Covenant seems like things of mystery, of fiction, of movies. And you're like, there was no Ark of the Covenant. If you're a doubter, let me just tell you that I had a fascinating experience in Cairo, Egypt. I went to the Museum of Egyptian Antiquities, where they've got all of the artifacts found in King Tut's tomb. And one of them is this gold carrying chest. Here's a picture of me with it. You'll notice that it's similar in shape and size to the Ark of the Covenant. And on top, rather than angels, it is the Anubis, the uh, Greek dog god carved there. But fascinating. Gold traveling chest with sculpture on the lid. Friends, this ark dates back to the days of Moses. No kidding. And, you know, it existed in the house Moses lived in. Maybe you remember that Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's family and would have lived in the palace. Well, this ark in the uh, museum in Cairo, it is of the same date and the same place where Moses was raised. He probably was around that ark. And when God commanded the ark to be created, the Lord wasn't describing something foreign to Moses. He had seen and grown up around that type of thing. 
And so, yes, the Ark of the Covenant was very real. Now, this carrying gold chest had differences. One of the main differences was the contents, what was in it. Well, it turns out that in Exodus 25, 16, we read, when the ark is finished, God said, place in it the tablets of stone I will give you with the Ten Commandments engraved on them. Yes, on Mount Sinai, God provided, you know, the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. And that's the main thing that was carried in the ark. So it was, if you will, a case, a uh, carrying case for the word of God. Uh, ironically, I have a leather carrying case that I keep my Bible in, and it does, you know, what the ark does, protect and enable the word of God to travel safely. The thing that really made the ark special was, was this. Uh, it says, again, continuing in Exodus 25, verse 22, God says, I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover. Again, the top lid was called the atonement cover, and God says, it's there at the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. That's where I'll meet you and talk with you. It makes us wonder, what exactly does that mean? What, did it, what was it like to meet God at the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it turns out that we have a little more clarity found in Leviticus 16.2, where God says, I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So friends, right here, uh, over this cover, God would manifest, visibly be seen. There would be a ball of, of cloud. And when his glory is manifest, there's always light. So imagine a, a ball of cloud and fire right there all the time. In fact, there was no lamp in the most holy place. And you may say, well, how could you see anything? The glory of God illuminated that room. It was amazing. But more than that, look at Numbers 789. It says, whenever Moses went into the tabernacle to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim on the ark's cover. And so not only was God visible, he was audible. The voice of God could be heard coming from this locale. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I want that. I want to see you. I mean, do something, some kind of a light and smoke show where I can say, hey, there's God. Speak audibly, you know, and I've not had that benefit, and it bums me out. I mean, this is my ark. I keep it in my basement where I, I suppose that's typical. You probably keep your ark in your basement as well. But uh, though I see it often when I'm down there, I've never seen any ball of smoke and fire over mine. I've never heard any audible voice. I sometimes say, God, if you can do it for Moses, why can't you do it for me? It, it bothers me that God is, is hidden. I, I'm sometimes jealous of the Israelites back in Moses' day because not only was the ark thing going above the ark, above the tabernacle, right where the ark was, do you remember there was this pillar of cloud and fire that rose high into the air. It was miraculous. It just hovered there. And when it was time to move, it would move. I'm like, I'll take a, a cloud like that, Lord. I, that would be awesome. Uh, 
I think of those Israelites then, and I'm like, they had miracles at a higher frequency than we enjoy. I mean, they saw the 10 plagues, these miracles that God brought about, you know, in Egypt, where everything's covered with frogs, like they've never seen frogs before. Miracles, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, these Israelites walked through on dry ground, seeing walls of water held back on either side. I'm like, Lord, that's what you got to do. This is the kind of stuff that would make people believe. Or I think of the Israelites enjoying manna. Every morning they'd wake up and there would be manna, bread laying on the ground and quail, God miraculously providing food. They were the ones who saw water burst out of the rock when Moses touched it. I mean, they had miracles like I wish God still did. Does it bother you? Am I the only one? I'm like, Lord, I'm trying to recruit people to your cause. You know, we're trying to make more Christians, more believers. And I'm just telling you, if you were more obvious, like you were back then, it would really work to build more believers. You know, even uh, interestingly, in the biblical era, miracles do not permeate. Did you notice that? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the scriptures cover 3,000 years of time. And yet the miracles are limited largely to three different relatively short periods. We've got the days of Moses and Joshua, a lot of miracles then. And then like 500 years later, there's the era of Elijah and Elisha, a lot of miracles then. And then there's thirdly the era of Jesus and the apostles. It's interesting. It turns out there are about a hundred miracles that are described in the scriptures front to and, and 97 of the 100 miracles occurred during those three relatively short periods. And you're like, great for those people who were there then, but what about those of us who find ourselves outside of those areas or those periods of frequent miracles? Lord, it's not working. You got to make yourself more obvious. But then I noticed an important verse that speaks to this theme. This is a verse that describes what happened on Mount Sinai as God gave all the specs for the tabernacle. Chapter after chapter of God saying, this is what the tabernacle is going to be exactly like. Here's what the furnishings are going to be. And then God says to Moses, oh boy, Moses, you got to go back down off the mountain to the people. Let me show you. This is Exodus 32, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away and have made themselves an idol. That's a fascinating verse. These people who you brought out of Egypt, that's a reference to this dramatic rescue of God. The Red Sea, the ten plagues, all the provision from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai in the form of food miraculously given, water miraculously given. The ones who experienced all of the dramatic miracles are quick to turn away. Remember I had said that all of this bold, obvious revelation of God would be effective to make believers. You know what it's effective at doing? It's effective at making people believe that God exists. What do you call someone who believes God exists? A theist. God being obvious is good for making theists. But God's not interested in making theists. 
That's really fascinating. All the people back then who had been rebelling while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, they were still theists. They believed in the God. In fact, the festival that this idol is revealed at was called a festival unto the Lord. And this calf that they made, they they said, oh, this is the God who has rescued us out of Egypt. This is for God. We just wanted a visible statue of something, you know, calf works, to think of God, which God had forbid. God had said, don't make any idols, even in my image. And so the issue back then wasn't that they didn't believe God exists. They just didn't care about God enough to obey him, to follow his moral law. They had a wild party marked by rampant sex and drunkenness, just taking God's moral code and throwing it out the window. Isn't that fascinating? God's like, hey, I'm not interested in making theists. I'm interested in making lovers, people who love me enough to obey me and trust me and follow me. Interestingly, Moses uh, was going to teach the people something here in Deuteronomy 6.5. Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And then much later, Jesus would say, that right there, that's the most important thing. That's the number one command of God. That's what he desires is people who love him. And so God's not interested in making theists, those who believe God exists, but making lovers, those who adore God above all else. And so now let's ask the question, Lord, is being obvious the most effective way to create those who love you with all their heart? And I think God would say, no. Yeah, you're right. It would really convince everybody that God exists. But God says, I very carefully, strategically move on planet Earth with the objective of wooing and winning hearts, not convincing minds that God exists, but winning hearts, if you will. God's like, if someone doesn't want me and they want a way to say I don't exist, I'll provide them opportunity to deny my very existence. But those whose hearts are inclined to love me, they'll find sufficient evidence and they'll be wooed and won to me and and be true lovers. It's interesting. uh, Jesus told a story about a man in hell. This guy got to hell and realized, oh my goodness, I lived totally missed the boat. I've ended up eternally in the wrong place. And somehow he has access to Abraham in hell. And he cries out to Abraham and he says, you've got to help me prevent my family from coming to this awful place. And what he says to Abraham is he says, Abraham, if you could make it so that someone would resurrect from the dead, I'm telling you, if they saw God do a miracle like a resurrection from the dead, I know they'd love, their hearts would be made right with God. Here's what he says in Luke 16, 30. The man said, if someone is sent to them, my family, from the dead, they will repent of their sins and they will turn to God Abraham responds in the next verse. Abraham said, listen, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, that was a way of referring to the scriptures. Moses and the prophets were the authors of the Old Testament. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Essentially, Abraham is saying, listen, the problem with your family is not that they just need more 
evidence that God is real. There's enough evidence. God has provided sufficient evidence to convince them of his reality if they really want him. The problem is something deeper. And I love that verse because Abraham essentially says, no, no, the Lord, he's not given as much evidence as you want there to be given, but they've got enough, sufficient evidence through the word of God, through the spirit drawing them. And if they want to discover God, they'll discover God. Isn't that fascinating? I believe very strongly that God moves strategically to maximize creating followers. Again, not just theists, but those who love him. He's trying to evangelize the whole world. And God is very carefully providing enough evidence to woo and win the maximum amount of souls and not so much evidence that he may turn people off you know sometimes you know even in a woo dating relationships if you're just bold and in their face you can make them recoil and say you're coming on too strong and God's like trust me I know how to woo and win you know, it reminds me of when I went to a defensive driving school. I just wanted to increase my uh, upper level education. No, I got in trouble. I got a speeding ticket and I had to go to College of DuPage to attend this class. And I'll never forget it because I arrived at this classroom full of deviants like myself. And here we have this professor, this teacher of defensive driving. He was so excited. He's just lit up like a bulb. And he's like, thank you. I've been teaching this class for like 20 years. And he said, I love teaching these principles. They are so important. And so thank you for attending my class. Thank you. I remember thinking, dude, you do know that we're not here because we want to be. We're here because a policeman who was big, strong, and scary with a gun said, you go or you're in trouble. That's why we're here. We're, if you will, the community of the intimidated. God doesn't want the community of the intimidated. Sure, he could appear in the sky and shout with a thundering cry, bow the knee and call me Lord. He could get everyone to do that. But God, being a respecter of free will, wants people who want him. And so he's subtle. And he moves in this world in such a way as to draw those whose hearts are inclined to love him and want him. And so... We find this great principle in Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Those who are willing to seek, I'm thinking of purple dog records. Those who are willing to go on a search through the alleys because they want the records, they'll find it. And so it is with God that those who want him will find him. You say, how do we seek him? Well, attending church through this you know, uh, video through this teaching. You know, you're seeking the Lord, studying the Bible, worshiping through songs with all your heart, trying to connect with the Lord in songs, prayer, reading uh, Christian books. Friends, all that effort in seeking to grow in our understanding and connection to God, that's seeking him. And God says, seekers find. Is he hidden? He is. But is he able to be found? He is. Those who go after him will find him. In James chapter 4, verse 8, God says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You pursue him, and he'll pursue you. You'll find each other. It's how God has worked the world, and it works. 
just this week. You know, you may recall last week I had a little oil lamp that I used as a prop for that front room of the tabernacle. Well, I took that little oil prop, rather than packing it away, I put it next to my bed, my nightstand. And as I would pray, as I've always done, you know, before I go to sleep, I've been lighting that little oil lamp. My wife thinks I'm weird. She's like, what are you doing? I'm praying. Yeah, well, what's with the oil lamp? And I'm like, that's how they did it back in the tabernacle. And she's like, whatever. But for me, it's not magical. It's just a little reminder of what a privilege it was to connect with God in the tabernacle. And there's something about a room all dark with just a little oil lamp light going that has just forced me deeper into connection with God in prayer. And I have been enjoying this peace this sense of God's nearness, this sense of his love. I haven't heard anything audibly, but he's spoken to my heart in those sacred moments. It's true. Those who seek God will find God. And if we understood his ways, we'd celebrate the exact level of being obvious that God implements in our world. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we we love what you did in that inner room, that Ark of the Covenant, that ball of cloud, smoke, and fire, the audible voice. Lord, we can't wait till we get to heaven and we see you face to face. But in the meantime, help us work with you. You say that we should seek and then we'll find. You say we draw near and then you'll draw near. Teach us what it means to daily be intentional about pursuing you and let our experience of you be extraordinary in the days ahead. We'll pursue you, be true to your promise and make yourself known to us. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining in today. I love getting to be here with you. And I love that this is a resource for you to help spread the hope of the gospel here, near, and far. If you'd like to partner with the ministry efforts here at the Compass Church and you want to do so financially, feel free to go to thecompass.net slash give. And please, while you're around our website or our church app, fill out that online connection card because we want to know that you've been here. Go to thecompass.net slash connection card to find out more. Looking forward to finishing up our sermon series the next time we're together here at the Compass Church Podcast.